Father, as we come to your word, we thank you for it. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your wisdom for our lives today. And I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, Lord. Not, not just through my words, but Lord, that you'd speak by your spirit into each of our hearts this morning. Lord, that we know your will and we would go from this place ready to live for you in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So his name was uh, Joshua, not this Joshua. Um, and it was clear that he had some issues. Um, looking for him, looking at him, you could see that he wasn't taking very good care of himself. My guess was that he had some kind of uh, substance abuse problem, maybe alcohol, maybe something else. And he was standing at the window of my car, uh, which was full of some of the older youth from this church. And we were in the queue for the drive-through at McDonald's. Um, this is what our youth work for older teens looks like right now. We get in my car on a Sunday evening. We see where the Lord takes us. Uh, it's amazing how often he seems to take us to McDonald's. <laughs> um, to be fair, two of them had just recently completed their GCSE. So it seemed a fitting way to celebrate. Um, twice, in fact, we've gone to McDonald's. And both times we've had encounters with homeless people. And while we queued... We asked Joshua about his story. Um, he shared a few details. I asked him where he was staying at the moment. He said, uh, I'm a pilgrim. I assumed he wasn't talking about supporting Plymouth Argyle. And I, I said we wouldn't give him any money, um, but perhaps we could buy him something to eat. He asked for a toffee latte. I thought, well, this is West London, isn't it? <laughs> and as we advanced towards the ordering point, I told him that I have a son called uh, Joshua, and I asked him if he knew what his name means, and he said, it's Jesus, isn't it? Uh, and of course, that's, that's right, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Hebrew, Aramaic, it means the Lord saves. What a great name. Well done, Davis. Good. Well, well done, all of you. Good names. <laughs> Good names. Um, <laughs> And I told him, I told him I'm a vicar, and, uh, and he said uh, he's a, he's a, he's a born-again Christian. And I, I noticed he was carrying this guitar on his back, and asked if he could play us a song uh, while we waited. And uh, he picked out a tune, He Who Would Valiant Be Against All Disaster, Let Him in Constancy Follow the Master, There's No Discouragement Shall Make Him Once Relent, His First Intent to Be a Pilgrim. So Joshua, the homeless man, the pilgrim. And I told him, we need more musicians uh, at my church. Maybe you could pop down to all souls sometime. Come help us out. He said, maybe. We'll return to that story in a bit. But I'm conscious that we have a number of visitors. Hang on, I've got a clicker somewhere. There we go. Um, yeah, we've got a, a number of visitors with, with us this morning. Once again, so good to have you with us. Thanks for coming. Great to have you here. Um, but I just want to take a moment to explain this sort of teaching series that we're in, that we've been doing this term, and the journey we've been on to this point. So the series is called Gathered. Um, we're looking at what the church is for, uh, asking kind of essentially what's the point in all of this. Um, and this morning we're welcoming people into the church family by baptism. But what is it that we're welcoming them into and to what end? And the way we're attempting to answer that is, is by going back to the kind of, kind of origin story of the church in the Bible, which is the book of Acts, written by Luke um, of Gospel of Luke fame. 
So it's kind of part two of his gospel. And the, the hope is that by looking at how it all started out, how the church started out, we can recalibrate a little after a hugely disruptive couple of years. In fact, an ongoing season of, of disruption, I think, which shows little signs of going away one way or another. And understand afresh our purpose, our mission as followers of Jesus in the world today. So the journey so far, um, Jesus dies, is raised, in a sense, uh, his father in heaven. And before leaving, he gives his friends, the disciples, some instructions. He says, first, to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And then they are going to become his witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We sort of come under the last of those categories here in the UK. We're the ends of the earth from this perspective. So first we saw them gathered in Jerusalem. They spent their time worshipping and praying at the temple and in this upstairs room where they were staying. There were about 120 of them at this point. And then we saw how they got themselves organized, each member with an important role to play in this new community. We talked about how no one is part of church by accident. God has plans for each one of us to use each one of us. He, he has plans to use you here. Uh, if you're a member of all souls, I really believe that. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They're filled with God's power and they're transformed kind of from, you know, sort of anxious, cowering people into these bold and confident disciples, empowered, equipped to demonstrate this new kind of kingdom that we talked about, this new sort of kingdom within the context of Roman-occupied Israel. And this represents a whole new way of being with God, a kind of complete departure from the Old Testament, really, um, where, where not only you don't have to just go to the temple now to meet with God, um, or you don't have to just be in the presence of this man, Jesus, but through the Holy Spirit, everyone, anyone, anywhere can know God's presence with us today. And then we saw Peter proclaiming the heart of this new kingdom, this gospel message, the central pillar of this new way of living. It's all about Jesus. We talked about how we have to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do at church, the center of all we do. This is all about him. And then Rach Wooden spoke a couple of weeks ago about how this new way of relating to God uh, transformed the way that they related to one another in community. So they became a community of love and support um, to one another in a, in a whole deeper way than the social norms of the time um, uh, on the basis that uh, all are equal and all are worthy of love because of what Jesus had done for them as they did life together. And then last week at our all-in service, we looked at the first half of today's story. You'll have noticed that the reading began in what sounded like the middle of a story. That's because it was. And that story was about an encounter that two of Jesus' friends, Peter and John, had with this lame man. He was sitting outside the temple as they went in to pray. They encountered him. They noticed him. He asked for money. They offered him a toffee latte. No, they didn't. They, uh, they offered to pray for him for healing. And he was healed. And this is where we pick up the story today. And by the way, if you missed any of those previous installments, you can go back and listen to them um, on our SoundCloud feed, which is linked on our website, or else you can watch back on our Facebook page um, if you're interested.
So this is where we're picking things up. A man who's been lame from birth uh, has been sitting outside the temple, the traditional Jewish place of meeting with God. He's outside there. Is suddenly no longer lame and is walking, jumping, and praising God. And as you imagine, this causes a stir. Um, and, and Luke tells us that Peter and John are sort of still heading into the temple. The man is hanging on to them, and people just come running to see what has happened, this miracle. You know, last week I was working in my office. There was this sudden bang. And I went outside and my way, made my way up, up Northcote Road, um, where a car had come around the corner, hit four parked cars, gone up onto the pavement, hit the wall of a house, taken down some signposts, and driven off. And nobody was hurt, <laughs> but it was a very dramatic scene. And as you can expect, a kind of a crowd very quickly gathered. People came pouring out of their houses, mostly to see if their cars were okay. And trying to work out how this carnage had come about. Unusual events draw a crowd. A few weeks prior to this story happening, Peter and John were doing everything they could to avoid crowds. John says the disciples were in hiding for fear of the religious mob. But empowered now by the Holy Spirit, Peter is a changed man. And the crowd is no longer a threat, it's an opportunity. And we'll see this happen throughout Acts. The crowd gathers, the disciples talk about Jesus. See crowd, point to Jesus. That's the new practice for these disciples. And he takes the crowd back to the Old Testament. This is most of what we heard in our reading. Uh, he's talking to an Old Testament people um, here, and he explains in the context of their cultural background who Jesus is and how he fulfills all the prophecies in their scripture, uh, like he did on the day of Pentecost. He explains how Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah, the one who came to die so that all who repent, all who turn away from a worldview which says, I'm the boss of me, me first, I'm doing things my way, can be forgiven by a God who made us to enjoy him, to be blessed in our relationship with him, can come to know him, his healing, his hope in our lives, become his disciples, his followers, his friends. That's what the church is ultimately, friends of Jesus. You know, in a world of influencers and followers, he's the one we've decided we want to influence us. He's the one we've chosen to follow. So the simple summary of this story is that Peter points to Jesus. First in his action, the healing of the man in Jesus' name, and then with his words as he explains that all of this, everything that's happened here, is down to Jesus, the promised Messiah, God who came to be with us. And he actually says to the astonished crowd, um, you know, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. He points to Jesus. Back to the McDonald's drive through and to Joshua. So we, we moved up to the order points, ready with our orders. The lads had talked me into um, trying a McPlant burger, which I was a bit skeptical about, but I thought, let's give it a go. It's got a smaller carbon footprint. <laughs> at, least, at least I guess it does. I hope it does, which matters. But just as I was about to order, we noticed a sign stuck to the order point. 
And it said this. I wish I'd taken a photo now, but it said this. Please don't give money or food to the homeless people. They've been making customers feel uncomfortable. Hmm. I thought. So I turned to my traveling companions and I said, so what do we do? Um, Does Joshua get his drink or do we abide by this notice? You know, I mentioned that I know quite a few people actually who have worked in McDonald's who have faced some fairly scary situations from customers at times. But this, this sign didn't mention staff. It mentioned customers, most of whom I'm sure were like us, safely sealed in their air-conditioned cars. So the question was, as it always is for his followers, what would Jesus do in this situation? And this took us into, uh, you know, me with the young people, a great conversation about the basis for the value of a human life and if how we are, you know, all just meaningless biological accidents. There isn't really much basis for the Western doctrine of human rights because that's a theory that's, you know, built on the idea that God made us and loves us and we have intrinsic value and dignity because of that, regardless of how far from sort of worthiness we fall. Anyway, the vote was unanimous. Joshua got his toffee latte. And as we handed it over to him, he thanked us. And uh, to my regret, I forgot to offer to pray for Joshua as we had done for the previous homeless guy we met at McDonald's, which is another whole story. Um, See, I told you the Lord leads us to McDonald's for a reason. And while Joshua didn't go away walking and jumping and praising God, like the man in Acts 3, I think there was a clear sense that we had done something that fitted with the kingdom of God, which Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated in his life and death and resurrection. This was living like Jesus is king. That's what we talk about when we say the kingdom of God. Because doing what he did is what we are called to do. Or rather, as Dallas Willard puts it, doing what he would do if he were me today. Because we can't all go back 2,000 years and become Jewish rabbis living in Rome and occupied Israel nor might we want to. Now, there's a lot more I want to say about this story. So in a minute, we're going to hit the pause button on it, and I'm going to offer you just a few sort of takeaways from this morning's teaching, but we're going to come back to Acts 3 next week for one final look. But I was talking to somebody on Monday, and I was telling him this story, uh, the story about uh, Joshua, and how we really want to resource our work with young people better so it's not just me eating McDonald's far too often. And he posed a question, and it's a question that we've all asked at some point, I guess. Maybe you've even been pondering it as I've shared this story of Joshua. It's a good question, and it goes something like this. In this sort of situation, where you see a need, where do you draw the line? Are toffee lattes really going to make that much of a difference? And if so, why stop there? Do you hear what that's kind of getting at as a question? Flip it around. The question is something like this. Was there really any value in that act? I mean, will a thousand drinks change the course of Joshua's life? And the answer, as I explained to the youth, is probably not. I'm not under any illusion that this particular drink of which he receives, I imagine several a day, or at least I hope he does, is going to enable him to turn his life around. That's just my experience of working with homeless people and with addiction. 
But it's a question you could also throw at Peter and John in that story. Why heal just one person? Presumably, there were many, many sick people around. Same with Jesus, in fact. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. But what about everyone else? I guess a lot of people probably died during Jesus' years of ministry. He didn't raise them all. In fact, even Lazarus died again, one assumes, um, unless you've seen a sort of 2,000-year-old Jewish bloke wandering around. So ultimately, what's the point? And that's the question that I'd love you to take away and consider in the week ahead. What's the value in a symbolic gesture or even an individual miracle against the kind of backdrop of an overpowering sort of darker darkness and brokenness in our world today? You can assume next week that I'm going to suggest that the value is significant and uh, makes it essential that we do these kind of things in the world today. Um, you know, if, if not, I'm in the wrong job. But have a ponder. Are acts of kindness like this um, just being nice and nothing more? Are they futile gestures? Worse still, are they empty virtue signaling? Discuss it with someone in the week. Come back if you can. But to finish, let's return to the question we asked last week which is who are we seeking to imitate? Who do we want to be like? You know, to be a Christian in the world today, to live as somebody who has been saved by his grace, is to say that the answer to that question is Jesus. We look to all sorts of people to inspire us. We look to leaders, to celebrities, to sports people. This week, we have been starkly reminded of the limitations of our human leaders. Jesus is the one leader who over the centuries has never come up short. Yes, his church has many times for which we repent, but not him. And to imitate Jesus like Peter and John is to go about our lives with our eyes open. In fact, asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to see what he sees, to see the need, to see the opportunity to offer people a little slice of his kingdom, a little piece of God's goodness, like Peter did, to point people to him. So let's look for opportunities for that this week. Offer to pray for, or better still, offer to pray with someone. Maybe it's not that homeless guy who needs that symbolic cup of coffee this week. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it is a homeless person, but let's look for opportunities to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Final verse, just for us to end with and we'll pray. This is Colossians 3, 17. This could have been written about Peter and John that day. And let's pray that it could be used about us in this week. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.